श्री गुरु वचना गुरु परंपरा की जाए गौर भक्त वृंद की Good evening, everyone. Hopefully you can hear me. If not, please indicate. So, looks like you can't hear me. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well. Okay. So I'll speak as loud as I can. Um, you can always move closer. So, as I understand it, I was asked to speak tonight as to the question, how to love God, right? How to love God. It's a pretty big question. And uh, so, I need some help with that. So, I will refer or defer to the Bhagavad Gita, where this is uh, discussed. And many of you, some of you are familiar with Bhagavad Gita? Please raise your hand. Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Some not familiar with Bhagavad Gita. A few. So Bhagavad Gita then, for those who are not familiar, is, is a very famous uh, text for in the Hindu canon of religious texts. And um, it's probably the most widely known and circulated, kind of like the Bible of... Hinduism, if you will, Bhagavad Gita literally means a song of God. Hmm? About 700 beautiful uh, poetic uh, verses, and the setting is a discussion between Krishna and his friend Arjuna. Hmm? It's at a very traumatic time in his life, uh, Arjuna's life, and so he's having somewhat of an existential crisis, and so the questions he asks are pertinent to all of us who are in the midst of an existential crisis just by the fact that we are human beings. We have a question, why am I, that doesn't arise in other forms of life. The question that consciousness that is kind of born, if you will, out of nature, it seems, uh, although it may be that which generates nature, that's another thing, but it appears that at human life, this sense of I and and with it comes the questions, why, and what are the possibilities, and what is the hidden meaning, and so forth. As there seems to be more than what meets the eye. Hmm? <laughs> we are the more than what meets the eye. We are the seer. The eyes are only a means to see, and a limited one at that, that get in the way of our truly seeing, and touching, and tasting, and and hearing all the what is the nature of being and reality and so forth. So, in the midst of Arjuna's existential crisis, then various questions arise and Krishna answers them very beautifully. In the course of answering them, it becomes apparent to Arjuna that his friend is not an ordinary uh, person. He has very extraordinary answers and a very extraordinary history. And, And then his friend Krishna begins to say it himself that that I am the Godhead. Very interesting and very um, audacious, I guess you could say, but the Gita then goes on to, uh, to demonstrate this, this idea philosophically and what is meant by the word, for example, Krishna hmm? and the idea of the personality of the, of the, of, of the Godhead. So, at any rate, at the end of the book, where there's a lot of different questions and answers, Krishna sums up the whole thing and he says, if you want to solve your existential crisis and know what you are and know comprehensively, know in a way that you become fully happy, that's real knowing. It's not just to know every detail, but to know in a meaningful, in a pragmatic way, how to solve the real issue here, how to be happy, hmm? how to be fulfilled. He's basically taught Arjuna as he comes to the conclusion that the way to do this is through love and that love has to be, to be complete, has to be reposed in an object that's capable of reciprocating fully because love will be gauged or measured 
in consideration of the degree to which there are reciprocal dealings between the, the one who is the giver of the love and the one who is the receiver of the love. Hmm? So he explains himself to be the perfect object of love. He explains that the idea of Krishna, the word is speaking about the perfect object of love. And, and so he informs Arjuna that knowing this perfect, knowing the center, if you will, is, is required. Hmm? If we are to repose our loving tendency somewhere, let us do it in the center because that will constitute the full face of love and by that, the whole of the circumference will be nourished. To use a bodily example, if I was to feed my mouth, but my mouth didn't cooperate and feed the stomach, then it wouldn't get the same result as if it did. So the stomach's kind of the center, if you will, in a way, from the, this analogy. And if we put food there, it has the capacity to do something with food that no other part of the body can. It has the capacity to transform it in such a way that all the parts will be nourished. Hmm? So there's a center. Hmm? And the center has, a, has the right to speak about itself. I'm the center. <laughs> it only sounds, you know, out of place if you're not the center. Hmm? So Krishna demonstrates in the Gita how he's the center. Hmm? And, uh, and he implores Arjuna in the end, to love, he says, love me. He says, man mana bhavamadbhakto. If you want to know what I've talked about in all these questions and answers, to sum it up, what I've said here, how to answer your problem, hmm? how to become perfect, know why you are and what you're supposed to do, that means to have perfect knowledge, whereby you'll be perfectly happy. The answer is, I'm the center, love me. If you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. Right? And to love someone is to know someone. Loving is the real, the full face of knowing. Hmm? It's pregnant with a kind of knowledge that's not in any way extra or cumbersome. Hmm? It's essential kind of knowing. When you love, you know what to do. Hmm? Uh, so we often think of love as being separate from knowledge. Hmm? And oftentimes it is. Love knows no reason. Hmm? That's a fact. But there's a kind of wise love also that is reasonable to engage in, hmm? although it transcends reason at the same time. And then there's a kind of a shadow of love that doesn't answer to reason, isn't reasonable, and it shouldn't be done. Hmm? The taking that appears to be love that is no more than attachment, for example, uh, that, that fosters sorrow and uh, it is ignorance. Attachment fosters sorrow. It can't be knowledge. It can't be love in the full sense of the term. So, Krishna says to Arjuna, I'm the center. Love me. All problems are solved. Hmm? So then, okay, the question tonight is, how do you love Krishna or, let's say, God? Right? How do you love God? So, understanding that this question might arise in Arjuna's mind after he says, just love me, Krishna goes on to speak about how to do that. So how do you love God? And the interesting thing that he says to start out with, he says, Sarva Dharman Prityaja. He says, if you want to love God, throw out religion. He says, <laughs> that'll be popular today. He says, if you want to love God, get rid of religion. Sarva Dharman Prityaja. That's a pretty bold statement. And um, so we had to have to plumb the depths of what that might, the implications of that, what that, what that means. What Krishna is doing here in this 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 uh, this answer that he gives, he's differentiating hmm, between religion and what I want to say is experiential spirituality. Hmm? between belief and uh, the superstition that may go along with that and experience hmm, of, of that aspect of our being that's different from matter, the knower, the experiencer, consciousness. 
experience of what that means, which involves separating ourselves from the material sense of self, the conventional ego that we've kind of arrived at. Hmm? Uh, this is such an approach is what we might call mysticism. In every religious tradition we find some mysticism. In Islam we find we have the Sufis. And in, the, in Christianity we have uh, you know, some of the, the, the saints like uh, uh, St. Francis, for example. That was my confirmation name. I chose him. Catholic boy. So, <laughs> uh, St. Francis. And, uh, you know, in, in all, so in, in, there are only a few religions out there, really. And, um, and at their heart, they talk about what we might call ego effacing or doing away with this conventional sense of self, the small sense of self, the selfish sense of self. Mm-hmm. And, and they talk about doing away with it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some talk about it well, and then I guess some, the outer form of religion doesn't talk about it at all. So this is what Krishna is saying, first of all, reject religion. That means, let's talk about it like this. There's karma, there's jnana, there's bhakti. Karma means action. Jnana means knowledge. Bhakti means love. Right? So we have a head, we have a body, we have a heart. Um, so, if you look carefully, from the Gita's perspective, all the religious traditions are either talking about a path based on action, a path uh, based on uh, knowledge or that culminates in knowledge, one that culminates in action, one that culminates in love, or that uh, a path constituted of love. Now, I mean, it wouldn't be hard for us to conclude which one is best if we said, what do you want, action, knowledge, or love? Hmm? We choose love. Hmm? And, of course, love includes within it action and knowledge. Action doesn't necessarily have to be love, and it doesn't have to be wise either. Hmm? And wisdom may stop action. Hmm? The more you learn, better education, the, harder, the less you have to work. <laughs> I mean, you can physically. Hmm? You can get a just desk job, you know, or you may sit at home and telecommute rather than having to take the, you know, the... Uh, the car to work and, and go through the traffic jam and all that physical trouble and so forth. So, And in the higher sense, of course, in pursuit of enduring happiness, if we have knowledge, we will cease from acting in relation to things that don't endure. That doesn't make any sense. That would be ignorance. If I want enduring happiness, then things that don't endure are not should not be on my radar or something I'm after. We're moving, acting in relation to things that don't endure, that are here today and gone tomorrow. That produces suffering. So a person in knowledge, in the true sense of the term here, ceases to act. They sit, shanti, 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 peaceful. But just like you can act and your action may not be knowledgeable or lovable, so you could be, you could be in knowledge, but it doesn't necessarily mean you would love. But if you love, then there will be knowledge and there will be action also. Love is not idle. We cannot sit and feel peaceful and rest until we've found love. And once we find it, oh, we start to move again, right? <laughs> she loves me, she loves me not. This is, and there's a whole, you know, you can't get off. It's ups and downs, love like a roller coaster, but we won't get off the ride. It's another kind of movement. Hmm? Hmm. It's movement not in pursuit of fulfillment, but out of fulfillment. Hmm. So love includes action. Love includes knowledge. So while we might have very simply said, I'll pick love, without going into this analysis, the analysis supports our choice. Love must be the best way. Hmm? Loving is knowing hmm? in a way that we could not know otherwise. So, therefore... That religious path that called the karma marg, the path of karma. Hmm? Krishna is saying when he says, if you want to love God, 
give up religion. That's what he's talking about. This is a type of religious approach wherein we, for example, it's manifest in the Hindu traditions and in the Christian tradition and other traditions. These are principles that we find in all the religious faiths. So there are those, for example, that participate in a religious doctrine for getting things. They worship God in order to, 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 to receive something in return. Hmm? They want something and they wisely, if you will, approach God for it. That would be a smart thing to do. He's got everything. So, they, they, in the Hindu tradition, for example, we have, it's called the Pravriti Marg, the path of acquisition, where we acquire things in life through sacrifices and acknowledgement of gods and goddesses and uh, we live with a kind of gratitude and so forth, but with an ambition to get as a result of that. Because we think in that tradition, in that approach, that by getting things, adding something onto ourself, our life will improve, we'll be happier, we'll be fulfilled. We feel we're, there's some emptiness, there's something missing, so we think, well, let's add on. Hmm? And so we approach God for those things. Hmm? To get a better husband, or a husband, or a wife. Or, uh, we shouldn't pray for a better one, I suppose. these days, but, uh, but uh, you know, to get a good daughter, a nice son, to get a, you know, a bigger house, a better job. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, yeah, so we, 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 a lot of, obviously, a lot of religion is about that, right? Hmm? It's about getting things. And we think that by adding things on, the, the, the lacking that I feel, the emptiness that I feel will be fulfilled. Hmm? But actually what we are, of course, is, is something that, you know, we are to invoke the adage that the best things in life are not things. We're the best thing in life. The experiencer of the things is better than the things. Because the things constituted of matter as they are wouldn't matter if there was nobody to experience them. So the experiencer is infinitely more significant than matter and it's what we are. So just adding material things onto our life, it's not a good way of of arriving at, a very efficacious way of arriving at knowing that I'm the experiencer. We're, we're connecting ourselves more with things and attaching ourselves to them. And this attachment to things is a recipe for not happiness, but sorrow. Because as much as we like the things, we cannot keep them. Hmm? Attachment is ignorance. Ignorance produces sorrow. Desire for things. Hmm? This is a problem. Hmm? Again, the best things in life are not things. So there is a religious approach like this, and then you, you know, you do certain things, you pray, you do sacrifices, whatever it may be in different traditions, but the orientation to it is kind of childish. It's like your children, they want things. Give me, give me, give me. And there's a, so if we approach God only to get and to get what? To get things? Here we are, the, 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 the unit of consciousness and experience, and Godhead is the, the supreme consciousness, the supreme experiencer. And in pursuit of apparently loving God, we're making a, a business relationship with God for things. How, how would the things... The things are not even going to get us close to ourself, which is a particle of consciousness. What to speak of close to the whole, the, 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 the source, the, the fire that we are the spark of. So, this is not how to love God. <laughs> Krishna says, if you want to love God first thing, get rid of religion. Hmm? And this is a big problem in today's society because that is the prominent face of religion. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but it's the basic prominent motivation. Hmm? 
while the motivation is apparently to love God, hmm, it's all about, you know, like in, a, in a, like in, a, in a, the Christian missionaries from that have this particular orientation. Not all Christians do, but some of the there are the, some of the prominent, you know, there are recovering. Southern Baptists here, I think. They're recovering Hare Krishnas, too. So, it happens everywhere, this phenomenon. You know, in all religious traditions, it shows up. So, anyway, some of those fellows would go to India and say, hey, you know, you're poor. Obviously, your religion doesn't work. We'll put a chicken in every pot, you know. Um, look at America, you know. We got, you know, Colonel Sanders there. He's, you know, you can get it, you know. So, there's, you know, if you, we can provide, our religion provides things. Hmm? The proof that uh, we have the wealthiest country means we must be blessed by God, and and so on and so forth. There may be some blessing, but it's not much. If, if if you're asking God, the reservoir of consciousness, if a particle of consciousness is asking the reservoir of consciousness that it really needs to unite with, hmm? for things, God scratches and says, "Well, that's what you want." Okay, you know those things. So that kind of religious approach, Krishna says, forget that. And seeing that prominent face of religion in the world, a lot of other people are going, forget that. That doesn't make any sense. I can get things easier in other ways, perhaps, or there are other things that come with that approach. It's a very kind of, we look at it as from the Gita's perspective, as a kind of a very infantile uh, approach to God and a very self-centered one. It's all about me. God for me. What God, you know, what did Kennedy say? Right? Don't think, well, we'll put it in the Gita's terms, don't think what God can do for you, but what you can do for God. And so I thought, well, what can we do for God? Hmm? He doesn't need anything. He should give us everything. No, he has a necessity. That's another thing. And that he's teaching Arjuna in the Gita. And the more we understand that, then we start to come to know how to love God. But we're a distance from that right now. Right now we've rejected, Krishna's rejected religion and says, this is not the way to love God. To approach God for things. To improve my material condition. It's an oxymoron. You know, to improve your material condition. It's, you can't improve on... I mean, it's like, how can we improve on death row? Could we get a couch in here? Maybe some pictures on the wall? You know, that's like ludicrous. The state's gonna, not going to spend money on that. Hmm? And, and, you know, we are... Our, our particular kind of con- conventional sense of self, I'm a North Carolinian, I'm old, I'm young, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm Indian, I'm Ukrainian... You know, I'm Scottish, whatever may be the case, Spanish, um, Indian, Hindu, Christian, you know, whatever it is. This is all, to one extent or another, this conventional, small sense of self, and that sense of self is cannot endure. It's not possible. It's made up of our desires and attachment to things. That sense of self is defined by our, determined by our attachments. I'm attached to North Carolina, so I'm a North Carolinian. You know, I'm attached to uh, a particular type of car, and I've got a certain ego that goes with it, and the advertisers know that well. And right, where'd that start in psychology? That right? Freud's, Freud. Freud's nephew. Freud's nephew. Yeah, he figured this is this psychology. This is people playing on people's psychology. That's marketable. You know, that's uh, so. Anyway, so our self, this conventional self, is informed by our taking tendency, hmm? uh, and that self is false. It's a false self because you don't really take anything. You never really get it. It's like here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Hmm? We don't own anything, and time tells us that with every every second that it takes, if we just pay attention. In a big way, this, this rising and setting of the sun is like compared to the wheel of time, crossing the chakra of time, how loud it speaks to us. Ayurharati vai pumsam ujanastan This is just not a, something out of a book. The sun is rising and setting, and with every setting, rising and setting, our life as we know it is being taken away. This life that we've tried to 
build a fortress around and secure, huh? to improve upon. I mean, I say it's like trying to make a case for making death row more comfortable. How comfortable can you be if you really think about what's happening there, right? Hmm? And that doesn't mean we, so. Yeah, that doesn't mean that. We, well, so what should we do? No, never try to improve our life. We should improve our life to the point that it facil- that we we should pursue improvements are in our life that will that will be real, real, tangible improvements. That means that will changes in our life, additions and subtractions in our life that will better facilitate our spiritual pursuit. Our knowing the difference between our self and that conventional sense of self, that desire-based self. Hmm? So, this larger kind of face of religion, which is a taking and trying to fostering and you even get this idea that well, I'll go to heaven with my kids and my dog and we'll all be there together, you know, and then you wonder, well, what age are you going to be there and what age, are, you know, <laughs> anyway, it's complicated. But the point is that there, there's something to us and it's us, the experiencer, the knower, the feeler, and so the taster, the seer. It's different from this sense of self that is derived from attachments that that, that unit of consciousness has developed. Hmm? in relation to things. So a religion, again, built upon acquiring things and improving the material condition as if the improvement of the material condition in and of itself was the sum and substance of religion. Like in Hinduism, we have a heaven that you can go to, but you can't stay there. Hmm? You, go, you perform pious activities, good as they are, and you get good karma for that. So you go to a land and you spend all the results of your good karma and it's a long, long, long time and it all finally the bank balance wears out and you come back down again. Hmm? And so you know, you think about that for a while, you think this isn't a very good idea. I'm going I'm working hard to go there and it's great for a while. And it's so long that you think, well, anyway, it's hundred million thousand years, you know, so I guess it's forever, but it does wear out. The sun will burn out. So you know the whole the whole show is is um, not going to endure. So the, the idea of improving it as a perfection unto itself then is not wise. Hmm? So that in, in pursuit of that kind of religious ideal, the taking ideal idea of religion from God give me things and so forth, to put it in a crude way. This um, sh- doesn't make people happy. Hmm? It doesn't fulfill people. And therefore, we find one day the priest was preaching for years and years, and the next thing you know, he's doing the things that he's preaching against. Right? And, and so, and then you have, so you, you have this idea in, 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 in the kind of conventional religious idea of, of morals, right? Hmm? The do's and the don'ts and doing the rights and not doing the bads is the sum and substance of a religion. Krishna wants to say to us, being a moral person is not the sum and substance of religion. Being a moral person doesn't constitute loving me. Hmm? That's like a minimum thing. You should, you know. You should, I, uh, and, and what are morals? There are moral principles, there, and, and the laws are based on the principles which will determine laws in terms of time and place and circumstance. That's changing. Hmm? Circumstance change, times change, the principles then are applied in those new circumstances. We have laws that are of, uh, of meaningful and make, make sense in our times. And uh, But nonetheless, mere adherence to religious law doesn't constitute loving God. Let's take, for example, let's call it, let's say the president. So let's say you follow all the laws of the state. Okay. So, I mean, the president wants you to do that, right? That's pretty good. So you, you know, you get the, pre- the citizen of the year award. And so at some banquet, President Obama comes and pins a medal on your chest and says, you are the citizen of the year. You have followed the rules of the country uh, perfectly. Shakes your hand and you got a picture of that and so forth. Does that constitute loving President Obama? President Obama. I mean, 
It's a little shard of loving him. <laughs> His wife gonna deals with him a little bit differently. Hmm? She loves him. The citizen is, is you know, is, is noticeable. It's good, but doesn't constitute the full constitute the full face of loving the the the, 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 the prime minister. Hmm? So following the moral laws. Hmm? God comes and puts a you know thing on your chest. You're a good citizen, you know. Great, great, hmm? great. I mean, it's good. I mean, you, you should do that. Hmm? And so, you know, is there any more to it than that? Is the idea love is much more than that. So, loving God, Christ is saying, it's not found in this. Hmm? It's not mean that we should be immoral. That hmm? we have to. Plumb the what is what is the essence of that idea? Hmm? What 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 a moral law? What what does that imply? What does law imply? Law itself implies absence of love. Hmm? As much as there is need for law, as much as there is not love, as much as there is love, there is no need for law. Hmm? So this religious idea that's full of laws. Hmm? And the sum and substance of which constitutes following all the laws doesn't have much to do with loving God. It's kind of like, well, yeah, something's better than nothing. But we're talking about the question tonight is how to love God, right? This doesn't really like turn God on, if you will. It doesn't. It doesn't really register in the life of the absolute. The center has a life. Its life is not based around what we do wrong and stopping from doing wrong. Hmm? God's not like in orbit around us and we're the center. Hmm? And when we do things right, his life is fulfilled. What kind of, you know, the center has a life unto itself. Hmm? I mean, let's take the sun. Let's compare it like sun to God. Okay, sun provides light, heat, and from the from the energy of the sun we get food, right? The sun produces rain, right, by evaporating waters which otherwise would not be put on the field, and then pouring it down so that we can eat. Sun is giving us food, heat, light. You know, a a, a happy mind, right? On the sunny day, so sun, we'll use, by way of analogy, the God of our life. So the sun is providing all these things. But what's going on in the sun? Is that just there to provide? There are these like nuclear explosions going on in the sun, one of which would just destroy the whole earth. It would be nothing in comparison. The sun has a life, in other words, of its own. There's what's happening inside there. It's erupting in its own ecstasy. And we're unaware of that. We're unaware of that inner life of the sun. We're just taking what the sun gives here. But it has its own. What are, what are those eruptions? So we want to say that the God has its own life, the center. And it's erupting in explosions of ecstasy. Exploring its own implications and ramifications forever, tasting itself and uh, as, as the center of all consciousness. If joy is what we pursue, if reality, there can be a reality that exists but doesn't know about itself, but if a reality exists and if reality knows about itself, it has to exist, right? But you could have a reality that exists and know of itself but wasn't joyful necessarily. Hmm? But if the absolute is joyful, it must be knowledgeable. Again, it must be exist. In love there must be knowledge, there must be action. Hmm? Hmm? You have to exist to do something. So the nature of the Godhead is like that he is anandam. He's primarily about joy, about love. And in the context of love there is action. And there is knowledge, and it's right knowledge, and it's right action. And God is is tasting love, anandam, forever. And the 
to love God is, is to be invited into that, to enter the sun. Hmm? To enter the sun, you've got to become like, like fire. Right? You have to change your constitution. Now here on this land, we have a material sense of self and the sun is nourishing that and so forth. Hmm? But to go into the sun and understand the ramifications of its explosive, ecstatic life, hmm? we have to become like the sun. We have to become a unit of consciousness to enter into consciousness and, and, and experience what are, the, what are the possibilities there. What are the possibilities for consciousness attached to matter as opposed to consciousness unfettered by matter? You know, it's something like the difference between ice and water. What is ice? You can cool water with it. What can you do with water? Huh. So many things. What are the possibilities of water? Hmm. And the possibilities of ice. So we're atrophied, we're frozen over. We're consciousness, but we've, we've frozen over by way of our identification with matter, which is still, it's inanimate. We're giving life to matter by our presence with it and animating it, but our identification with it is taking away some of that animation that we are, all that we are, all the possibilities that we are. Hmm? We've identified with matter and its limitations and we're kind of somewhat inanimate hmm? in comparison to what we could be. I mean, the whole of the movement of the world from the Gita's perspective is being taking place by the soul asleep. What must the soul or consciousness awake unto itself? What kind of life must that be? Hmm? So, so this idea then, as I say, that, that, that of, of just that God is orbiting around us, whatever we do, and that's his good day or his bad day. You know, if we, if we, we do the laws or we don't do the laws, he's, he's had a good day or a bad day. This, this, is, this is a very self-centered idea of God. Hmm? And there's, there, maybe there's some manifestation of God that's, you know, concerned with that, Vishnu, Paramatma a little bit, you know witnessing all that stuff, keeping score and so forth. But this is not the whole of the Godhead, experiencing itself and the fullness and, so, and wanting to share that and, and, and participating in that. This is what love constitutes. So anyway, in the beginning, Krishna says, how do you, how do, to Arjuna, how do you love God? Give up religion. Sarva Dharman Puritya This is the conclusion of the Gita. He starts. Now this sentence... This first line of the verse that I'll explain all four lines of is echoed in the book called the Bhagavad, the sequel to the Gita. What is given theoretically in the Gita is played out in the Bhagavad through many examples where there is a description of the life of the Godhead, the life of the Absolute in ecstasy. The book begins where the Gita leaves off. It says, Dharma Projita Kaita Gotra. Saying the same thing, a little bit more emphasis. Dharma Projita. This religion should be rejected. This religion, they call it's called kaitava, cheating religion, religion where we cheat ourselves. We negotiate with God to get more material things or a better material situation when in fact we're not material. That is pretty dumb. But as you approach, so the Godhead reciprocates, right? And so... Bhagavatam says, Dharma Projita Kaita, this should be rejected. And the word Projita, rejection, implies a thorough rejection hmm, of anything short of actually loving God. Hmm? So we've talked about one thing that falls short of loving God that appears to be a means for loving God, that ordinary religious idea of God give me this, God improve my life, and so forth. Hmm? That is one thing. Now the other, there's another side. Hmm? Our material life runs on two tracks. Taking, acquiring things. And when they, we get tired of it, we let go of things. There's another side of us which is giving up things. Hmm? Renouncing things. In Sanskrit we call it bog and tyag. Hmm? Bog and tyag. Hmm? Now, renouncing things, giving up things, there's some knowledge in that, right? 
Because, again, we're not things, and the things aren't making us happy. And sometimes we get some insight into that. We get rid of this thing. I bought this thing to make me happy, and it's making me unhappy. I will give it up. Hmm? So this is called the path of knowledge. Then, When we take that tendency in material life that we have, and we systematically make a yoga out of it as a means to connect with God. First, we had the karma. We made a yoga out of it. How to connect with God through 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 things, through acquiring things, dharma marg. It's a remote kind of connection. Now, giving up things. Well, now we're get we're starting to get somewhere, right? Because acquiring things is, has nothing much to do with loving God. So giving them up must be. Hey, that must be it. So the na- action, right? We've rejected that as the way. Hmm. Unto itself, hmm. laws, so forth. Now, so so giving up things. If I have knowledge again, then I know acquiring things that doesn't improve my life. That's the beginning of uh, beginning of my suffering. Hmm. I bought it, and now I got to pay for it. And when it's done being paid for, it's it's not any good anymore. It's broken. The kids broke it, or whatever. You know, <laughs> it's a problem. So. So, so, so give it up. Mm-hmm. So Krishna in the Gita says, "He says Sarva Dharma Pratyajama Moksha Yishami, Moksha, Moksha. He mentions this. Moksha, Moksha Yishami. Mm-hmm. Deliverance. Mm-hmm. So by giving up things, we'll be freed from the things. We'll get some freedom mm-hmm. that the things are not affording me." They're just giving me more bills, so I, I, I looked, I tried to get more, and I just got more in, in debt. I went into negative numbers. Let me come to zero. That'll be full in comparison. So let me empty out the desires and give up things and so forth. What, so what is the motivation here? The motivation in the karma mark was to get things, and it was a selfish kind of pursuit to be happy. It didn't make us happy. What did it make us? Unhappy. It brought suffering. It brought anxiety. So what is the motivation in the Gyanmarg? To give up suffering. To stop suffering. So, oh God, please stop my suffering. Okay, well, that's a little smarter hmm, than asking me to give you things that are only going to make you suffer. That's a little wiser. Now, that's knowledgeable. Okay. So I can help you, then I can reciprocate with you in terms of that, and I can, I can, and, 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 and I can give you the kind of knowledge that will facilitate you giving up things. That means knowledge of yourself, knowledge of the difference between myself and matter. When I see the difference, then I know that matter doesn't enhance me. Again, matter wouldn't matter if it weren't for me. Hmm? You understand? It would have no meaning if it weren't for me. I'm the meaningful thing. So, so I'm going to get now closer to myself and I'm going to end all suffering. Wow, thanks a lot, God. How close did I get to God by that, though? Now, that might be a good question to ask. How close did you get to God? One person wanted to suffer, didn't realize it, <laughs> asked for enjoyment of material things, but was really asking for suffering. The other person wants to get rid of suffering. Both things are self-centered. Hmm? Both. One wants to take the world. One wants to push the world away. Hmm? So this path brings us to knowledge of the self. It stops us from taking and exploiting. Hmm? It's kind of a very indirect expression of love. If my taking constitutes selfishness, and, and, and taking what doesn't belong to me, that's not love, because love's about giving, right? Love is about giving. So if I'm taking, then I'm not loving. We rejected that path. Now, we come to a path where it, it, it's, what's, it's all about stopping from taking, hmm? due to wisdom, right? Stop from taking. So if you stop from taking then there's some kind of love in that, kind of. Because you're not 
You're not not loving anymore. If taking is not loving, you stopped not loving. So I've I've agreed that not not love. <laughs> I'm going to stop not loving. I'm going to stop <laughs> stop taking. Hmm? Yeah. So okay, well, it's some progress here. But love is about giving, right? And it's not just about giving up. Hmm? It's giving up things. Hmm? It's about giving ourselves, really. Hmm? to the center in a way that's meaningful to the center. Again, it has a life of its own. So Krishna says in this verse, don't give up religion, give up karma mark, give up gyan mark. These things don't constitute loving me. And he says, mami come sharanam braja. He says, here's what you do if you want to love me. Focus exclusively on me. Mami come. Is mom ekam. Ekam means me alone. Hmm? Me alone. That sounds maybe selfish or what? We're a little sectarian here. I don't want to be sectarian. But again, the center has such a position. Hmm? If there is a center, it will speak like this Give everything to me. Give everything to me. Hmm? Because when the center takes everything, the result is everyone gets. If the center is to be a giver, it has to take the position of the taker. Hmm? So, if God's going to talk, he's going to speak like this. I'm the center. Give everything to me. Krishna says, Mom, ekam. Hmm? Me alone. Now, the question is how to love God, right? So, me alone. So, we have to look at this word, ekam, alone. Hmm? Exclusive. Hmm? Be concerned only with what I'm about. Hmm. Only what 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 what's of interest to me. Hmm. He says, "Ma may come sharanam braja." The word braja means t- to go. Hmm. So, go to me. He means come to me. Give up religion. Give up pursuit of moksha. He says the implications that you might worry. If I give up religion, then I might get bad karma because religion is to promote good karma. Krishna says, don't worry about that. Moksha yishami masucha. You'll be free from the karma. Hmm? But the freedom from karma, which is mukti hmm, and knowing oneself, then in of itself doesn't constitute love. But that will be there. You'll get that. Hmm? It'll be nothing lacking for you hmm? with regard to things. Hmm? And there'll be nothing you don't know. If you love me, but this is how to do it. Ma me come sharanam braja. The word braja means come to me and me alone. Hmm? So he, he, he says you have to be preoccupied with what I'm about. Now, so what's God about? Well, we have to search from Revelation, for example, where God reaches out to us through different sects. Where do we find, you know, the more you, the more specific the information about God, the more there is the capacity to love God, right? Specificity is required for love, actually, not vagueness. Hmm? Hmm? So the more specific, more details, then if he's the center, then the more naturally attractive. This word Krishna means all attractive. It's speaking about the center. Hmm? Krishna is portrayed as playing the flute, herding the cows. You may have seen the pictures and so forth. Mystics have this experience, and they transform it into, you know, into translate it into art and music, and try to speak about it philosophically as, as we are tonight, and so forth. But all the depictions of Krishna, that which corresponds in art and in philosophy and so forth, with these two syllables, if we study it, we see what's being talked about must be the center. Hmm? Krishna <coughs> is depicted as only playing. In India, we have so many gods and goddesses. No problem. We've got a god for everything and a goddess for everything, too. Hmm? But all these gods and goddesses are depicted as, as having a specific task that they perform, mostly in relation to us. Krishna has nothing to do in relation to us. He's lost in himself. He's only playing. So, the implication is that one who only plays must be most powerful because in order to play, you have to have some power, right? 
if you don't have a, the power of a bank balance and time spent at work, you don't get a vacation. You can't take one. To play requires having some power. If you see a person, they only play, you think, what is he born with a silver spoon in his mouth or what? You know, he never has to work or anything. He just, you know, he's got power, right? So playing implies power. And, 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 and so the center in the Gita is depicted as playful. This means joyful. The center is ananda. Again, love is the center. Hmm? Action informed by love. The knowledge that's pregnant in love. This is what the center is all about. If we were to talk about God, different people, different religious traditions will talk about it in different degrees. This is the way the Gita and Bhagavat are speaking about it. Hmm? Hmm? The center is ananda personified, only playing, hmm? forgetful of his own self, as in play. If you really play, then you forget. If you if you do a drama, the perfection of the drama is to forget your so-called real identity. Right? Hmm? This is this is the idea of Krishna. This is how he's depicted. He has forgotten that he is God. What is making him forget? The love of God that makes him tick. That love is non-different from him. Hmm? It corresponds with him. Hmm? That love give, gives Brahman a shape. Hmm? We're a finite particle. God is the infinite. He takes on a finite-like shape in order for there to be intimacy between infinite and the finite. Otherwise, if we were next to the finite and we knew that, we would be awed. There could not be intimacy. Hmm? Hmm. So these descriptions about God, and I'm just going to kind of going over the surface of it. This is interesting information. I met a fellow once years ago. I offered him the book, the Bhagavatam, where these things are like going, you know, in, in depth. You know, this this what we're talking about, whether that just on the surface of. And I'm thinking, this is a great book. <laughs> Why don't you take it and read it? I offered to him. He said, I don't need your book. I said, okay. I said, he said, my religion teaches more about God than your book. I said, oh, really? What does it teach? He said, in my religion, we know the social life of God. And I said, well, that's pretty good. You know, the so, in other words, he's talking about God has a life. In it. So I knew what he was a Christian. He said, and so I said, so you know the social life? He said, yes, God begot a son, send him to earth, and so forth. And I said, well, you need this book because this book talks about God's mother, father, the brother, the sister, the whole. You know, you want to talk about the social life of God? You have to understand what it's in Bhagavatam. In much as, much as, oh, there's, 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 if there is, there's all kinds of love, right? There's parental love. There's friendly love. There's romantic love. There's a love between the teacher and the student. Hmm? In Krishna, we find all these types of love and the capacity to reciprocate in all these measures and uh, different flavors and tastes of love. Hmm? Not just the God who gives the blessing and so forth. But so if you study it, you see ooh, the, the description about God, the information, the specificity that's being offered here. This fosters love. The more knowledge you know about what... Hmm, what he's what he makes him tick, so to speak, the more you have the capacity to love. And the more that love is fueled, the more Krishna is present and the love and the Krishna they're and they're one and the same. And so he says, Sarva Dharman Mami come Sharanam Braja. Come to me. Hmm? Surrender, he says, give yourself entirely to me, exclusively to me. Nothing will be lost in this. Everything that you could have fulfilled through karma or gyan will be fulfilled. There'll be nothing, in other words, through karma you try to, the karma mark, you try to stop bad karma, to be the moral person. That's covered. Hmm? The moral questions are answered because now you've found that you're non-different from me in terms of being a spark of consciousness and I'm the, I'm the fire and everyone else is a spark. You know, there's a unity that underlies life. There's nobody to steal from. There is no, there's nobody else to steal from. There's nobody else to covet. That's all just a show. We're consciousness. We're all reunified. Moral problem is solved. So you don't have to worry about that. That's solved automatically. Hmm? The problem of detachment, 
liberation, that freedom that comes from giving up ignorance and attachment to things. He said, that's covered. Moksha Yashami. I said, that's covered. So he's getting a metaphysical answer. What does it mean to surrender to me, to the center? And he says it in a nice way because he says, Mami kam sharanam braja. And the word braja, while it means to, to, to come or to go, it also has a, a meaning that comes to our mind if we're familiar with the texts. Hmm? That has different implications. Braj as a verb means to come or to go, but braj also is the name of the place that's been given to that, to put a name on a place, if you will, a realm where the Godhead is just exploring his own ecstasy, lost in that. Hmm? It's a nice word. It carries implications of movement with it also. Hmm? That place is a moving place. Hmm? It's uh, it's fully animate. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, there the song is... So the word is song, the walking is dancing, what must be the dancing, what must be the singing there. Hmm? There the Godhead never sleeps, hmm? alive to the love that, that, uh, that animates him and so forth. So this word comes to mind for the knowledgeable, the thoughtful, and so we're taken to this place and this, so in this little poem, it's the conclusion of the Gita, we learn something about what it means. How do you love God? Hmm? Hmm? Not this way, not that way. <laughs> not through action requiring, not through the inaction of, 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 of renouncing, detaching. Hmm? Hmm? And, and, and not through uh, worshipping God or loving God in a dutiful way. Hmm? They call it Vaidhi Bhakti, because it should be done. Because if Ma may come, means study me, me alone, and you look deeply, you say, oh, we go beyond the Vishnu and the Krishna to the Krishna. Hmm? Me alone. Me means Swayam Bhagavan. Hmm? Me as I am. Hmm? In nak- my nakedness, the nakedness of my ecstasy, where I've lost the sense of my, my godhood. And, hmm? And I say the word Braj and I go there myself. Krishna has fainted <laughs> as the Gita comes to a close. And so in this verse, I seek to take some help to answer a question. Any question? <laughs> <laughs> thought came to mind. It's an analogy, analogous thought. But if um, you see love is like an engine, uh, and that engine runs, that love engine runs, but... When you think of a car, what's the ignition? What's the spark that starts this love in us? You know, we get the engine. How do we get it going? How do we get that? How do we spark that love? You're asking me. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, well, so God is a God is an engine. You need some fuel. That has to be there too. So you want to know how do we ignite this? How do we ignite this love? Love. Yeah. Well, the way you ignite this love is that this love ignites you. Hmm? That's the way it works. Love ignites you, and the way that works is that um, you 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 come in touch with this love. There's a bearer, a carrier of this, hmm? and in their company, it, it it overflows. It becomes contagious. We're touched by that. We're moved by that. We are become interested in that. Hmm? So it comes from up to down. If God wants us to know about Him, we can know. Otherwise, not. Hmm? And how does He make Himself known? Some, through, some, through some agency. This is what a saint is, sadhu, mystic. Hmm? They live. This is what good luck is. In the Bhagavatam, the word luck means sadhu-sangha. It means there's no cause because the sadhus are not moving under the influence of karma. They didn't do anything that's, that's causing a reaction that's forcing them to act. Hmm? They're moving daivim prakritim ashrita mahatmanas under a different energy altogether. Hmm? They're running under the energy of love. They're fueled by that. Hmm? They're ignited by that. Hmm? They're on fire. Hmm? And so bhakti gives bhakti. So you kind of try to trace it out. How does bhakti give bhakti? You think, well, what's the cause of bhakti? You say, well, ba- the cause of bhakti is sadhu-sangha. Hmm? Right? 
No. Because Sadhu Sangha is part of bhakti. <laughs> I understand? Sadhu Sangha is part of bhakti. So bhakti, if it's like you can trace it out and you find a... It's a very interesting argument. That bhakti gives bhakti. Hmm? Only bhakti gives bhakti. So by coming in touch with bhakti, we get bhakti. And bhakti is very generous. So the opportunity is made available in human society through various agents and so forth. And... And so the idea is then to keep that company, to keep good company that will foster bhakti in us. Hmm? And such persons will do things, sadhus, that we see fosters bhakti in them. So we'll think, I'll try those things. Hmm? Imitation of a good thing is a good thing. So we start to imitate. This is called sadhana bhakti. We start to imitate. One is animated by bhakti. Chanting, hmm? um, uh, dancing, in, in, with uh, with uh, bhava, with feeling, ecstasy. We see that we become a, we become a, talking about bhakti in such a way that 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 he or she has a feeling for the text. And the text is speaking, you know, and the, the understanding of the language of the text. Therefore, we're able to draw things from the text that otherwise we can't, because the background language of love, we don't we don't speak it. So we come in touch with that kind of a person, and it becomes contagious. And so that we we start to do the things that they do. They chant, they, they read this particular book, and so this is called bhakti in practice. Bhakti is not atashi Krishna namadi namadad grayam indrayi. Is not an activity of the senses. This verse says, "By the senses, you cannot know bhakti, know, know Krishna." So, bhakti cannot be an activity of the senses because the activities of the senses are not actions by which we can know God. Sevan hmm? So, so sevan the, the, the actions of the senses are actions that foster in the enjoying ego, the taking ego in ourselves. Sevan means. To convert this, this, the, 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 the taking ego hmm, to a serving ego, this is bhakti. Hmm? And then we attach our senses, we let bhakti play our senses, so to speak. Hmm? So, in this way, we move from kind of bhakti with the senses, where our senses are engaged and the self comes out and bhakti further ripens in us and we become an ecstatic, a mystic. So anyway, this is what ignites the spark. Bhakti does, and the agency is is a bhakta, hmm, a devotee proper. Another question? Yes. So, um, to the question I have, uh, what is the answer? I, was, I thought I just put forward um, what I go through when I have a question like that. And, uh, so, uh, I mean, especially when we are in the practicing stage, when you are receiving that, that bhakti, then you already know you are there. So, there's not a lot of difficulty there because you've got a test of it and you're going to stay there. And it's going to always flow and you're going to receive it. But before we come to that stage, before we really actually become this part to get into that part, in this process to get there. So, for us, for sadhakas, though we know it is really very tasty there, we still have something unseen stopping us, mm-hmm. though we really want to get there. So, what I was um, thinking is, maybe, first of all, knowing, uh, having the knowledge and receiving the knowledge mm-hmm. of what exactly I am, at this point of time, mm-hmm. and what exactly the reality is, where do I stand now? What is stopping me to really get there? So that thing. And if we look at that, yes, I really want to go there, but something is stopping me. So um, that something is, we are not ready to receive that back. That, that that is because of the thoughts that are preoccupied with me and I. So if only we can realize with all the knowledge that we are hearing that it is not about me and I, it is all about the Lord and His. 
So it would be that all the knowledge, all the sadhana and practice and vaidhi bhakti, all those things can culminate to that particular single thing. It's not just about me, about how uh, advanced I am or how not advanced I am, what faults do I have, where do I need to improve. I mean, there is a desire, to, desire there to get there, but the mind is so much occupied with me of how to improve, what are the faults, where do I get there, how much advancement do I have, what, what am I doing, what am I not doing, am I progressing or not, all about me, good or bad or whatever it is. But when we hear like this and when we realize that, that's okay, it's not, it's not about you, of how much you advance or how much you are lacking, or if you have this or not have this, where you stand, that's okay, just keep them aside. It's all about Him, the right. glory of the Lord. That thought, that little bit of it, just sparks and just opens the door. Or, oh, okay, so wait a minute, so it's all about Him, about His glory, and that is what is coming. So then, then there will be least resistance to open the door when the bhakti is flowing. Very good. That, that's what I have noticed. <laughs> and then, then we'll get a taste of it. Yeah. And then we know, okay, everything is already there. What all I need to do is just receive it. It is going to flow because it is so merciful. And I am not going to really get there to really satisfy him because I'm just a part and parcel of it. So I don't really have to be so hard on myself, estimate, judge, etc., etc. That's okay. Don't have to meddle up my time and mess up with that. Just turn over to him. And I think about his glories and how he's reciprocating. And then the miniature thing is all gone then. Yes, that's the front, uh, that's the, that's the, the uh, primary focus of bhakti. That's why we feel that effort on our part is, is, is really limited, but in, in, in and of itself, grace is required. So the more we preoccupy ourselves with what, what God wants, what God is like and so forth, then naturally you go up, right? What is your name? Usha. Usha. Okay. Another question? What's the time now? 8.30. Okay, so I think we should stop. There's some some prashad, right? Some dinner for everybody. So thank you very much for your comments and questions. And <laughs>